Let us love one another, that with one accord we may confess. the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is in our midst. He is in our Thank you, beloved in Christ. The beautiful Lord's Day to you all. We proclaim the resurrection again, having risen from our own slumber, our physical slumber, and our spiritual slumber, to something that's better than sleep. And we glorify God together, and we affirm his image in one another, bearing each other's burdens, lifting each other up, and encouraging each other, even by standing side by side and praying together. Be inspired, beloved in Christ, by the people surrounding you, the people around you here in this community, who are your co-strivers, co-strugglers. We're working out our salvation together. And this is a beautiful place to be. This is the arena, you know, where we're working out our salvation. And we're given many beautiful teachings, too, to inspire us in this struggle. The gospel reading is a familiar one of the Gadarene demoniac, whom Jesus heals of demonic possession. And we hear this reading more than once during the year. I don't plan on commenting on this reading much today, other than just saying that we can see in this story a simple <clears throat> example, what to do and what not to do. We should strive to be like the man who was healed by Christ, and humbled by him, rather than being like self-destructive, demon-possessed swine. Doesn't that seem like a better one? To be the healed one, rather than the swine plumb plummeting to their own demise? <clears throat> Our Lord loves us so much and is constantly revealing himself to us. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about what... One beloved teacher of the church is referred to as God's revelation to the human heart. Beginning with this quote. The heart itself is but a small vessel. Yet dragons are there. There are also lions. There are poisonous beasts and all the treasures of evil. But there too is God. The angels, the life and the kingdom the light and the apostles, the heavenly cities and the treasuries of grace. All things are there within the heart, says St. Macarius the Great. And what inspires me to talk about God's revelation to the human heart is the epistle reading 
that begins with these words today from St. Paul, I would have you know that the gospel which was preached to me is not man's gospel. Not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And while Christianity does value the intellect, it understands the limitation of the human mind and puts a greater emphasis on the heart, which is a reference not only to the physical organ of the heart, but the core of our being. You could say it's the place where all of our longing and fulfillment is experienced. It's the organ where the interaction between the seen and the unseen takes place within us. It's the battleground where trust and ego wrestle with one another. And it's the crux at which each person may even come to encounter the living God. I want to propose that most people believe what they do on the basis of their experience rather than on their knowledge. Because to the one who's honest, he or she will always understand that there's much more that cannot be known than can be known. And the love of knowledge and the pursuit of it does not have to be in vain, but it does have to be with proper perspective and with honesty and honest awareness of the fact that regardless of how much I know, I'm always also putting my trust in something greater than myself, in some greater authority. So at the core of everyone's belief system is faith of some kind. I'd like to share a little story about St. John Maximovich from Father Seraphim Rose's short book called God's Revelation to the Human Heart today. We've been sharing lots of stories lately and I want to continue a little orthodox story time. So this story about St. John Maximovich, whose icon we have over here by the choir, begins like this. It was written during the time of his life before he was officially recognized as a saint, although many people recognized his sanctity who knew him in person. But he's referred to as Archbishop John in this story. In the case of Archbishop John, those who came to believe in Christ through him were moved not, first of all, by his miracles, although he is one through whom many miracles were performed, but they were moved to belief in Christ by something that moved their hearts about him. I'll give you an example from his life, an incident that occurred in Shanghai, where he was bishop during World War II. It was related by a voice instructor named Anna. If you've read it all about St. John's life, you know that he's one that was a peculiar and somewhat eccentric fellow, one that seemed to manifest weakness as much as strength. He was small, awkward, and he even spoke with kind of a lisp, and he had a hard time opening his mouth and speaking clearly at times. And so Anna had the assignment of giving him lessons to exercise his jaw and make him speak a little more clearly. 
He would always come to her at regular intervals, and when he had finished each lesson, it was his custom to leave a $20 American bill. Again, remember, he's in Shanghai at this time. During the wartime, this woman was wounded and was dying in a French hospital in Shanghai. And it was late at night and there was a fierce storm outside and no communications were possible in the city. But she had in her heart only one idea. Having been told by the doctors that she was going to die, her only hope was that Archbishop John would come and give her Holy Communion and somehow save her. So she begged people to get word to him, but they said it was out of the question. The phones weren't working because of the storm and the hospital, since it was wartime, was locked up for the night. So all she could do was cry out, Help, Archbishop John, come! Of course, people said that this poor woman was raving, but there was no possible contact with him. But that night as she was shouting these words, the doors opened up in the midst of the storm, and in walked Archbishop John with Holy Communion. He came up to her, gave her confession, calmed her down, She was, of course, overjoyed, gave her Holy Communion and left. The woman slept 18 hours after this, and waking up the next day, she felt that she had recovered. It must be the fact that Archbishop John came, she said. What Archbishop John, the nurses asked, saying that he couldn't have possibly entered the locked hospital on such a night. The person in the bed next to her said that someone had, in fact, been there, but still no one believed her. She began to wonder whether she had been having hallucinations. But as the nurses were making her bed that day, they discovered under her pillow a $20 American bill. Aha, she said, there's proof that he was here. And how, one may ask, did Archbishop John know? How did he manage to get to her when there was no human communication possible to get the message across to him? One can say that it was revealed to him because so many things like that were revealed to him. But how was it revealed? Why to him and not to someone else? Why is the truth it would seem revealed to some and not others? Is there a special organ for receiving revelation from God? Yes, in a certain sense there is such an organ, though usually we close it and do not let it open up. God's revelation is given to something called a loving heart. We know from the scriptures that God is love. Christianity is the religion of love. You may look at the failures, see people who call themselves Christians and are not, or who betray their faith and say that there is no love there. But Christianity is indeed the religion of love when it is successful and practiced in the right way. Our Lord Jesus Christ himself says that it's above all by their love that his true disciples would be distinguished. So if you ask anyone who knew Archbishop John what it was that drew people to him and still draws people to him who never actually knew him in person, the answer is always the same. He was overflowing with love. He sacrificed himself for his fellow men out of absolutely unselfish love for God and for them. And this is why things were revealed to him which could not get through to other people 
and which he could never have known by natural means. He himself taught that for all of the mysticism of the Orthodox Church that's found in the lives of the saints and the writings of the Holy Fathers, the truly Orthodox person always has both feet firmly on the ground, facing whatever situation is right in front of him. It is in accepting given situations which requires a loving heart that one encounters God. This loving heart is why anyone comes to the knowledge of the truth. Even though God sometimes has to break down and humble a heart to make it receptive, as in the case of the Apostle Paul, who at one time was breathing fire against the perse- and persecuting Christians. But to God, the past, present, and future of the human heart are all present, and he sees where he can break through and communicate. And we all know this and have been wounded by this, and we've experienced within ourselves that the opposite of loving heart that receives revelation from God is cold calculation. Getting what you can out of people. In religious life, this produces fakery and charlatanism of all descriptions. If you look at the religious world today, you see that a great deal of this is going on. So much fakery, posing and calculation, so much taking advantage of the winds of fashion, which bring first one religion or one religious attitude into fashion, and then another. But to find the truth, you have to look deeper. That's why so many people, I think, are finding orthodoxy. They're looking for the truth and not something that is fleeting and changing with the shifting sands of the world. And so they're finding the Orthodox Church, which bears witness to the reality that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But truth doesn't just come through intellectual assent, but through encounter with the living God. We almost lose hope, and it's right about when we're ready to lose hope that we are receptive to receiving the love of God. Unless we're children. Children are much more receptive to love oftentimes than adults who are struggling with their pride and trauma simultaneously. A certain kind of knowledge does come from inquiry and from exploration of the facts and information that's available. And of course, beloved, we have the responsibility to receive the gift of knowledge using the rational mind to grow intellectually through honest inquiry, hopefully inspired by a sense of wonder rather than a sense of desperation. Desperation leads us to become consumers and addicts. And consumers become defined by what they consume, by what they can put into their mouths and on their bodies, and what they can see with their eyes. This approach is a merely human one. And what we desire is something precious, which we call a theanthropic approach. You know that we love this word in the Orthodox Church, a theanthropic approach approach, one that brings together God and man. It results from the synergy or cooperation between man and God. And this is how true knowledge is found. The man known as Saul was rabidly zealous for the truth, seeking to possess it, devour it, and embody it. 
And as the result, he became a violent persecutor of those whom he saw as a threat to his experience of what is true. And this is because he believed that truth is something that could be owned and therefore wielded and imposed. But even within the heart of this man was a desire for something greater than himself, something more powerful than possession and self-affirmation, a heart in pain, longing for truth. And thus, in his painful pursuit of the truth, and pain which he experienced and inflicted upon others, in the midst of this, our beautiful Savior touched the wounded heart of this man. We now call him Paul, St. Paul. And he received a gospel, not of his own devising, not of some human product or currency. The gospel that came to him was a revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who took upon himself the beating heart of man so that he could reveal himself to the heart of man. And so our endeavor is to become honest with ourselves about what we believe is true and why we believe it is and sometimes why we want to believe it is. Are we longing and honestly desiring to come to the knowledge of the truth or are we actually resisting it rather than, and rather settling for what the world desperately refers, refers to as your truth or my truth? But we're still left standing, looking in the mirror, having a massive identity crisis. If you're here today, if you're here today, and I could say this to anyone, anywhere, at any place, at any time, if you're here today, it's because you are loved by God. It's because you have a deep heart that God longs to touch. You have a deep heart that God longs to reach and to enter into and to transform, to transfigure into a living temple, a place where a kind of ceaseless liturgy takes place, a place where you can know and be known by the lover of mankind. Yes, beloved ones, Long for truth with a kind of pain. This is a good pain, but don't settle for temporary satisfaction. Your heart longs for eternity. Your soul longs to know God, to encounter not a gospel given by man, but one from above, from the truth, who is Christ himself. So like St. Paul said, not even a gospel from me, but from Christ, not from Father Jeremiah. but from Christ Himself. You long to be loved. Receive this love and you will never be satisfied. Receive this love and you will never be satisfied. What? Not satisfied? Yes, because satisfaction is a human state of being that presupposes that there is an end to our pursuit of what we desire. But when we're honest with ourselves, and we cross the threshold of the pursuit of true knowledge, we realize that we are blessed to enter into a relationship of communion with the uncreated God. The deep heart of man coming into contact with the great depth of God's love. Beloved ones, I know that I haven't given you a particularly practical tip today or a task to do or not to do. But I know that you are constantly thinking 
evaluating, judging, and wondering, ask yourself, to what end? Is it that I might come to the knowledge of the truth? Or just fleetingly and temporarily grabbing onto something because I so desperately want to believe in something? But is it that I might come to the knowledge of the truth, and I hope so, with a capital T? And if so, open your mind and your heart to allow yourself to be touched and loved by God. It's okay. The world will lose some of its luster. You will experience a blessed dissatisfaction which will only find consolation in the ceaseless yes to the one who is constantly calling you to himself. The heart itself is but a small vessel. Yet dragons are there. There are also lions. There are poisonous beasts and all the treasures of evil. But there too is God, the angels, the life and the kingdom, the light and the apostles, the heavenly cities and the treasuries of grace. All things are there. May we dwell there and come to know our heavenly Father who loves us always, now and forever, and unto ages of ages. Amen.